0: Our text today is taken from the third chapter of Romans, beginning reading with verses 12 through 18. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a continuation of what we began last time of God's evaluation of the moral character of the human race. Now these quotations are gathered from various prophecies. I'm not going to cite them all. You can look them up. It is sufficient that St. Paul quotes them here in the book of Romans, thus verifying their position in the Holy Scriptures. God's observation that there is no one who does good is often met with stubbornness and resentment. Many feel that this is not only unfair, but inaccurate. I've had a number of men say something like this to me through the years. Don't tell me that my mother wasn't a good person. Or if my grandmother isn't going to make it, no one is. Well, there is no real need, as far as that is concerned, to defend the words of God. We need only to hear and to teach the Bible. That is our duty as prophets of the Lord. The servants of God are not called upon to offer defenses for the Bible. God does not need any defending by me or anyone else. But I think it helps to understand that God in these passages is not making reference to that which is true between one person and another. God is not saying that in my eyes or yours, there is no one who is good. But as God looks into the heart, as he sees and evaluates the motives of the individual, and as he compares what he sees in that life to what he demands in terms of holiness and perfection, there is no one who measures up. There is no one whose motives are pure. There is no one who really does what is right out of a charitable and sincere desire to please God and to serve humanity. There is just simply no one. All people, irrespective of how their deeds appear on the surface to you and me, are weighed in the balances and found wanting before God the judge, The purpose here is not to tell you and me that we should be condemning everything that everybody does or that we should have a generally negative attitude about the society in which we live. What we have here is a look at humanity through the eyes of God the righteous judge and the judgment that is one day going to be held. We're being told that in the day of judgment... Man must be found without guilt if he wishes to survive. Now, God is simply offering to us the observation that in his sight there is no one who measures up to that righteous demand. And when the evidence is all in on the day of judgment, the verdict will not be favorable for any of us. Not one, he said. No, not one. No child of Adam, who ever lived in this world, has ever been good in that context. Their throat is an open sepulchre. Another totally condemned thing about man is his speech. This refers not only to his filthy, blasphemous, profane language, but also to the mind from which it arises. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." What is God saying here? He looks down upon the children of men and they open their mouths and they speak. God has a metaphor to describe what he sees. Suppose you are walking along in the country one day. You go around a turn in the path and stumble upon a grave that has never been filled in. In that grave is a dead body in an advanced state of decay. Imagine the disgusting sight, but more than that the stench. Now you have a divine picture of what God sees and feels and smells when men open their mouths to speak their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. Man is inherently dishonest. He cannot tell the story exactly the way it was. He can never really convey the exact truth To the other person he has to twist it just a little bit to embellish it so as to make himself look good and to make his enemy look a little worse. Natural born unregenerate man is not capable of pure honesty. Oh, this is something that people are very emotional about. One thing they like to claim above all others is that they are honest and can be trusted. The problem is that God says it is not true. But God is talking about the motives of the heart, about the deep insides of the individual. He looks down in there and he knows what he sees. There can be no question We may as well acknowledge this. God is clear about it. He does not see honesty in the heart of man. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. The way men poison one another is like being struck by a snake that has been lying behind a rock just waiting for you to come wandering by he's coiled up he's tense he's ready as you pass he fangs you and injects into you his poisonous venom Why does the snake do that well because he's a snake and that is what snakes do That is also the way men treat one another. They poison one another. They destroy one another's character. They gossip about one another. They tell things designed to hurt. Well, of course, they always preface these remarks by saying that they don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to speak evil of anybody. They don't want to run anybody down. And they don't want to say anything bad about anybody's character. But with that false and hypocritical little speech out of the way, they go to work and inject all of the poison they can to literally destroy another's image, his character, his reputation in the eyes of others. Now there are times when people have done things for which they deserve criticism. And sometimes we become the recipients of information about how someone has behaved. That inevitably blackens their character in our eyes, and it should. Well, this is not what God is making reference to. What God is saying here is that man has the capacity to do this to his fellows, even in situations where he does not know what he's talking about and has no just motive for what he is saying. It's not necessary for this poisoner to know anything about the situation or the other person in order to do this. It is in fallen man to do it. That's the point. If you don't think that's true, just edge up to a group of people who are sitting around talking idly about others and listen to what you hear. Then make up your own judgment as to whether those people really know what they're talking about or if they have any valid reason for the scurrilous, bitter, inflammatory and defamatory things that they are saying. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Why is it that people curse, blaspheme, and use the name of God to speak to one another in a derogatory way and use filthy language to project maturity, toughness, individuality, manhood, or some other aspect of the ego. Why do they do this? It's a characteristic of the fallen nature. Somehow man thinks he makes himself look big, and it causes him to be admired in the eyes of his fellows, and sometimes that's true, isn't it? The trend now on television is for everyone to swear and to use as filthy and foul language as possible. Oh, it's comparatively mild at this point, compared that is to what you hear out in the job or in the restaurants every day. But if you want to see where it's going to be in your living room in a few years, go down to the movie theater and listen. Go back in your mind to when you were a high school kid. Try to remember those movies. And then behold the devolution of the language downhill to the pit. The one who uses the worst language the most often is the most admired person. He's the tough guy. He's the one who doesn't give a rip. Who can deny That in the eyes of the fallen mortal, there is something to that. Often people are admired for the bad language they use. And you will be immediately branded if you do not speak with this vehement, blasphemous, sacrilegious, self-assertive, filthy language. If you let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay, people are apt to ask, what's the matter with him? Does he go to church or what is it? Why does he just talk? Why doesn't he curse and swear and use foul language like everybody else? This is the way of the world. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They hurt, they maim, they harm. This is not only in wars where nation rises against nation, Ask the mayors, chiefs of police, and other law enforcement agencies about the violent crimes that are on the steep rise or gang beatings. People being beat to serious hurt and sometimes even to death for a thrill in a rite of passage or some other silly contest in the back streets of life. There is something in man that makes him violent. He wants to hurt or destroy The other person, their their feet are swift to shed blood. Give them an excuse. Or let society take a turn as it has now to where this kind of thing is more and more accepted and less and less punished, and you will see it rise in frequency. You'll see it become the theme of entertainment and hear it more and more in people's speech this is characteristic of fallen mortality their feet are swift to shed blood and the ways of peace have they not known well we hardly need to enlarge upon this do we i'm old enough to remember hearing my father and my uncles talking about world war one that was the war to end all wars after that war was over the world had seen weapons of destruction that had been developed that no man would ever dare to start a war again. World War was the war that was supposed to make wars obsolete, but then World War II came along, and there was worse devastation by far. I remember a Sunday afternoon picnic in Graysada Park in Modesto, California in the mid-1940s. A nuclear device had been tested in the South Pacific, as I recall it. I remember Dr. Edward Teller coming on the radio in his broken English and saying that this ensured us that the era of peace had come to the world. The reason was utterly simple. No civilized people in their right mind would ever take a force like this and make it into weapons but we did make weapons with it. The nuclear bombs were dropped in the Far East. This was supposed to be it for certain. Surely now the human race was mature enough and wise enough to understand that there had to be a better way than war to settle disputes. Surely this would end all wars, but other wars followed." Now there are thousands of nuclear weapons throughout the world in the hands of madmen with no control. There is more trouble throughout the world today than ever before. Grown men, the most qualified leaders, the most intelligent, supposedly that is, and mature, cannot get together and come to something as simple as peace. Why? Because they do not know the ways of peace. It is not in man to be at peace with his fellows. You can object to that. You can resent that. You can resent it being said. But the proof is in the pudding. Look at the history of man in this world. From the dawn of civilization down to the present time. It's one long commentary of bloody war after bloody war. Each worse than the other. It's not the ignorant the uneducated, and the criminal who starts wars. It's the heads of government, the most honorable men. There is no understanding of the ways of peace in the human race. We cannot be at peace with one another. Just now, the 50th anniversary of the atomic age is here and historical revisionists are once again trying to make not teach history. Bleeding hearts and other disloyal Eastern sympathizers are hysterical about how terrible it is that we are victimized like this by our leaders and our political systems. Yes, yes, that is sad, but you can bring it down to two of the simplest old country boys you ever saw who take their families off into the backwoods Each of them gets a little piece of land and they build a stone fence between them. Then they move a mile further back to build their houses. But it will not be very long and there will be a feud going. They will be saying things about one another. One of them's son will not be treating the other's daughter right. One of them will not be doing his part to keep up the fence. Somebody's cow will be over in somebody else's corn. And the fight will be on. If you think this is a dramatization or an exaggeration, go back to the Ozarks or some other remote area and spend a little time doing research. You will find one long, bitter, blood feud between families of people who've grown up together and have been lifelong friends, but who fight like cats and dogs. It's not just the political leaders, the military men, the presidents, and the kings of this world. It's everybody. They do not know the ways of peace and there is no fear of God before their eyes. If, while speeding, a man looks in his rearview mirror and sees a black and white car whip out and get him behind him, he immediately experiences a fear of that authority that will slow him down. You can drive down the highway and see it for yourself. You're tearing along at a high rate of speed, And all of a sudden you see a whole line of traffic backed up, poking along, drivers pleasantly and innocently looking around at the countryside. And the first thing you wonder is, where is the highway patrol car? Men fear the authorities of this world. But consider that man is open and naked before the Almighty God who sits on his throne and looks into the heart of man. God sees into his home, his life, listens to his speech, sees everything he does, and he's writing up the books against the day of judgment, it's clear. But man does not care. He goes on in his blasphemous, hard-hearted, immoral, sacrilegious, self-seeking way, and he could not care less about God. For the greatest part of his life, he doesn't even think that God is there. It doesn't even occur to him. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Man fears virtually everything in this world more than he fears God. He fears a snake more than he fears God. He wouldn't get down on his hands and knees and poke his finger in the face of a rattlesnake, but he openly, callously, defiantly curses and violates every law of God. He expresses utter contempt for God the Creator. He comes up with all sorts of blasphemous and sacrilegious theories and ideas that are an insult to God and that are designed to destroy the idea of God in society. No, God said, they have no fear of me. Now we have seen God's view of man. This is God's view. These are his own words given to the prophets and quoted here by St. Paul. It's brief, but it's comprehensive. It deals pretty much with all the various aspects of man's character. Thoughts and expressions. It tells what kind of a person natural born man is, how he thinks, and what he does. So in verse 19, the Apostle said, Now we know that whatsoever thing the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. One of the functions of the law is to condemn the guilty. It lets the breaker of that law know that he's a criminal and he's out of favor with the judge, the court, and the enforcement system. It puts the fear of that judge and of that court and of those enforcers of the law into the heart of this individual. God's law lets men know that they are guilty before God. If anybody is so foolish as to take the law of God, examine it carefully, and come to the conclusion that he is not a lawbreaker and guilty before God, then that man is to be pitied. And don't forget the law of the conscience. Reality teaches us, that we are condemned by the moral law, and we are guilty before God. So therefore, the most sensible conclusion we can come to is the one that St. Paul here declares to the Romans, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. No man at the present time, is righteous in the sight of God by merit of what he does. And no man will be found righteous in the day of judgment by his works. Now, if this is really the case, if there's going to be a judgment, if men are going to be put on trial to see if they're righteous, And if no one is going to be found guiltless or righteous by merit of his deeds, what is he going to do? This is bad news. Indeed, what is the hope for us? Or is there any? Yes, there is hope. And that hope is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's verse 21. God has a program whereby we may be justified in his day and acquitted. And it's not through this process of man and his own moral character observing and keeping the law of God. It is some other way. Do you know what that other way is? Are you sure? Tune in next time, and we will begin to make sure because your eternal destiny rides on it.